Hi, this is John Smith with Kingdom Real. I am so glad you joined us again today because this is part two of Answering the Call. Welcome back to part two of this story on Kingdom Real. So, how did this impact your family? Oh, it was pretty devastating to the whole family. Um, my two sons still at home. It was really hard for them. Even though they weren't at the meeting, they didn't hear it. It was kind of the talk of everything. That was mommy's darkest moment. She was so devastated that she said, I will never trust another human being again. And she completely shut down. She wouldn't leave the house. She wouldn't go to the door. She wouldn't answer the phone. She just completely shut down for several days. For me, it took longer to figure out that I was angry and deeply hurt. I stood around afterward and kept talking to people and then was one of the last to leave. I guess I'm the slower of the two of us. It takes me longer to process some of that stuff. And, um, but a few weeks later, it got bad enough that I really thought about ending my own life. But the reality really sank in of everything that had happened. I remember that well, obviously. <laughs> uh, for my parents, you know, 800 miles away, um, they loved the fact that I was a pastor. They wished I was closer, but it was really hard to hear what had happened. And, um, and then just a few days after that, we had a, an already planned trip out to um, Willow Creek Community Church in South Barrington, Illinois. And so next thing I know, I'm with this whole group of people going out there, and it's still pretty raw. It's just a few days later, and um, I don't know if you remember or not, but I'll never forget what you said. And, and we'd already you were at college at the time, and we made arrangements for you to be there before all this blew up and happened. And so we met in the hotel room that night, and do you remember what you said to me? I do. I told you you had to get out of there because it was killing you. Yeah. I remember being so mad. I have a terrible memory for details, but I can remember being in my dorm room at Calvin when I had gotten the phone call from you guys to mm -hmm. tell me what was going on. Yeah. and. That is a memory that is absolutely burned into my brain because I just remember being so angry. And I mean, obviously there's a lot more to the story of being a pastor's kid, but I already had had my feelings and my, I don't know. I, I had left New York with kind of a bad taste in my mouth about church in mm -hmm. general, never yeah. about God but about church. About church yeah. And so that was relatively still fresh for me. And I was still in my own journey trying to figure things mm -hmm. out. And then the church hurt you. And 
I it was I would just remember being livid. I mean, if I could have jumped through that phone, if I could have figured out how to get to New York, I just remember saying, if I were in that meeting, <laughs> I would not have kept my mouth shut. Like, and then I remember you telling me that it was probably a good thing that I wasn't in the meeting because I I have always been quite outspoken and very very protective over my family, and yeah. you know, it it really just devastated me that that they hurt you and they hurt mom and how dare they treat you like that and I just remember you know these are the people I grew up with these are the people I had known and trusted my entire life and I just kept thinking how dare they how dare they turn like that Mm -hmm. you know and I mean even on that note you had mentioned earlier that when you first went out there for your interview right I remember just a moment ago you saying it was the people it was it was the people, really, yep. that made such an impact on you mm-hmm. that you chose to go out there. And yeah. then, again, it's yep. the people mm-hmm. that ended up... And some of them were the very hurt. same people. Absolutely. Bringing you the most hurt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, how do you end up trusting people again after that? Well, there's another piece that happened at this conference we were at. Mm -hmm. And on that particular, I don't know, it was the next day or two days after that, whatever, um, you managed to get seats in either the second or third row center stage. And um, the speaker gave this message, and, and I had heard the message six months before this. Six months before all this happened, I was at like an all-time high, excited, things are going great in the church, things are wonderful, I had this whole group of people out there, we were hearing all this, everybody's all excited, and uh, he gave this talk on navigating the highs and lows of pastoral ministry. So at that point, six months earlier, I was at the high point, and that, that's what I was hearing in this message. Now, six months later, after this event, I'm at the all-time low. And he, he, the second part of his message was about the prophet Jeremiah. And he said, remember what happened to Jeremiah when God called him to be a prophet? He didn't really want to, but he surrendered. And then his life got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse all the way through. You know, he's, he's thrown down in the cistern and all this stuff's going on. And he's like, what in the world did I deserve to do any of this, to be treated this way? And... I remember very clearly, I cried almost through that whole message. And I, you were sitting right next to me, and you were crying. And when he was done with that message, and the, that session ended, you got up and you gave me a big hug, and he says, now I understand why you have to stay. It wasn't pleasant, it wasn't easy, it wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't comfortable. But it's what God wanted me to do, and he had a reason. Because he does care about his church. And he knew some things had happened, um, but none of it surprised him. And that's where sometimes we can get mad at God for the wrong reasons. 
Like, if you really loved me, why'd you let that happen? Why didn't you prevent it? Absolutely. And you want a really honest answer? Mm-hmm. I didn't figure this all out right away, but as I've had a lot of time to reflect on it over the years, I really believe, in fact, well, let me, you got time just for, I read a book shortly after all this happened. Name of the book is Crucified by Christians. Healing for those who have been. And it is a powerful book. First time through, it was like, oh my goodness. That will challenge the daylights of your belief in the sovereignty of God. And I know several people that have written that, read that book. Some I recommended, other people did. And there's usually, I only know one person that was middle of the road on it. Usually it's either you fully embrace it or you hate it. In fact, somebody got a hold of that book after they knew I'd read it and they gave a copy to everybody on the staff. I go, oh man, what'd you do that for? I actually had one staff member say, if that's your understanding of who God is, I don't want anything to do with him. I go, wow. Be careful with that. I mean, I, I know your backstory and I understand why you're saying that, but I just encourage you to be careful with that because you're speaking out of your own pain of what's happening there. And, and here's the thesis of the book. Who orchestrated every detail of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? God. So he asked the question, who do you think orchestrated every detail of your crucifixion? And he goes on in that book to say, until you've experienced the agony of the crucifixion, you'll never fully understand the joy of the resurrection. And I remember in those, in those 10 days between the letter and, and the decision for this meeting, I think it was about eight or nine days after the date was set, and every day I would read that passage, and I think it was in Mark, where it talked about when you get put to the test, don't plan in advance what you're going to say, don't worry about it, the Holy Spirit will give you the words and the time and this kind of stuff that's going on. And I read that every single day, was kind of battling it and stuff. And finally, that last morning before the night of the meeting, I said, okay, Lord, I surrender. I'll go to the meeting. I won't say anything unless they directly ask me a specific question that I have to ask. Then I'll say something. But if not, I won't. And maybe you want me to experience just a little taste of what Jesus went through when he was betrayed. And so I began to embrace the fact that God was the one who orchestrated it. That doesn't excuse what people did. It, it doesn't excuse the actions people took. They were wrong. Nobody should be treated that way. Nobody should talk to their pastor that way. Right. But here's the part of it that that I understood in the moment and it's got clearer and clearer and clearer over time. 
Mommy and I ended up getting a whole week of intensive counseling with the person I think is the best, most gifted counselor in the entire country. And we were his only client for a whole week. Don't tell me anymore because I want to hear about that later. All right. That's amazing. Yeah. Was there ever a moment in all of that that you just doubted God completely? I don't think so. I... I don't... I doubted people. And I didn't have any idea that people could be as cruel as they were, even though I'd heard other people's stories. I didn't think it ever happened to me. I was just such a nice guy. Um, I know a lot of people experienced that at that time. And, and God's big enough he can handle it. That isn't really where I went with it. Um, but as a... As a people pleaser, that can be pretty dangerous when there's tons of people that you haven't pleased. And I think that was more where I went. And it was, I think everybody would just be better off if I wasn't here anymore. So did you leave the church right then? I really wanted to. But there were two things going on. One is God still hadn't released me. So I just couldn't walk away until he did. I mean, that was a promise I made, and I was serious about it, and he still hadn't released me. And I mean, a lot of pastors in that situation don't have any choice. You're, you're done. Okay. You're out of here. Right. Well, in my case, the whole board was behind me, um, it was just a whole bunch of other people that, that weren't. And so um, I could stay. But the other part of me is where I'm, I'm stubborn enough and strong-willed enough that I knew there was a lot at stake here. Because some of the changes that had been implemented that some people were angry about, I believe were God orchestrated and kingdom focused and the, the present and the future of the church and our impact in the community was hinged on that carrying on. And I knew that some of the people that were so upset with me would want to change everything that we had done and go back to something that wasn't as healthy, wasn't as good, wouldn't reach as many people. And there was too much at stake and I refused to let him win. How long had you been the senior pastor at this point? At the point of the meeting, it was, I think, about six weeks short of 20 years. Oh, As senior pastor. Senior no, pastor. I was associate for eight years, so 12 years. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't like, you know, it was my first thing that happened, which is good <laughs> in some ways. Um, yeah, that was, that 
So then, if I'm doing my math correct, you stayed at the church for another another three, three years, years after that, right? Another three years after that. So then, when you finally decided to leave, mm-hmm. how did you feel about church as an institution after you left? I was more aware of the flaws and the failures and the um, problems with the institutional church in some ways. And I never lost my love for the church because I knew that the church was a hospital for sinners. I knew it was a place for broken people. And I knew that I was just as broken, if not more, than anybody. So I, I didn't really... Um, I never lost my love for the church, which is a testimony to God's grace. I had every reason to. And other people have been through it, have had different experiences. For some reason, God was able to protect me from that. Um, But what what I didn't feel was that it was a safe place for me. And so the thought of going into another church as a pastor, I, I just couldn't do it. it I, I had a few opportunities, and as I looked at it, it's just like, I see so many things not right, so many things need to change. It's gonna bring chaos again. People are gonna get mad. I'm gonna get attacked again. I'm not sure I could survive it again. And so that was going on. So I still went to church every Sunday and I still enjoyed it. But it was like, in fact, I would drive by all these churches. I'm going, oh, man, I'm so glad I don't need to pull in. I'm so glad I don't need it. And Sundays would come like, oh, man, I'm so glad I don't have to preach. I'll go hear somebody else, but I'm glad I don't have to. And it was just kind of weird of this thing of, of still loving it, still liking it, but not feeling safe not really knowing if I would be valued or if I had anything left to give. There's a, when I was in seminary, the whole concept of burnout was just being talked about. In fact, I remember, (laughs) um, this is kind of a, not the most flattering admission, but I remember thinking saying it quietly to myself. I don't know if I ever verbalized it out loud. But I remember thinking, well, I'd rather burn out than rust out. I'm not going to be a lazy pastor. I'm not going to be a pastor that just, you know, goes along with whatever and whatever happens. Like, man, I'm going to give it everything. I'd rather burn out than rust out. As I think back, I was like, man, I was so naive. And I was nicely arrogant. I mean, that's an arrogant statement. I do it with a smile, a nice demeanor, but it's kind of like, really? Until you actually experience burnout. So I did. Let me ask you this last question. Yeah. Because I'd love to come back to the burnout later on. Be glad to, sure. I think that's really important to talk about. It is, yeah. Why did you choose to continue in ministry after being so hurt? I mean, you could have gone, 
to Home Depot and done your dream job of working at Home Depot, <laughs> but you or flying an airplane or whatever, mm -hmm. but you jumped back into ministry. Why? It goes back to the exact same reason I went into it for the first time. I had an encounter with God where he called me again back into ministry, but in a very unique, different way. And it was, it was, I mean, I can give you the date, the time, the location, the hour, <laughs> sure the whole thing. Can. I give you all the details <laughs> on that. And, but it was absolutely clear that he was calling me. But this time, instead of pastoring a church, he called me to pastor other pastors and their families, especially the ones going through hard times. So he said, I mean, he orchestrated my life being saved, my marriage being restored, and my love for ministry returning. And he said, now go and do likewise with others. What people did for you to help you get healed and restored, that's what I want you to do for others. You went through all of this for a reason. There's a purpose behind everything. And even the most terrible parts of what I went through, God has redeemed that and uses it every day for his good in the lives of other people that I wouldn't be able to do if I hadn't gone through it. I tell people from time to time, you'd be surprised to know what you have to go through to be good at what I do. And I've just recently come to the point, I've been in different levels of this, but now truly, sincerely, with all my heart, I can actually thank God for every single thing I went through. It made me into the person I am today. That is an incredible place to be. It is. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Kingdom Real. I know I have. And there's nothing better than being interviewed by your daughter. She's awesome. Hope you enjoyed it. See you next time. <laughs>